1: We are ready to go again on Rotoviz Overtime. It's myself, Colin Kelly. As always, I'm joined by my co-host, Sean Siegel. but We have a special guest, Sean, our first guest of 2024. I'm looking forward to this one. We're talking Apex Fantasy Leagues. We'd like to dive into all formats, talk through all strategies, and to try and give yourself a more rounded view to make decisions across any sort of you know format or platform that you're playing on. So we're joined today by Mike Brody. He is the CEO over at Apex Fantasy Leagues sean i'm excited for this we haven't had a chance of mike on the show before we have talked apex pretty much every season in the off season and i know you're very excited for this one like myself
2: i am i had a chance to meet mike in person a while back we're looking forward to potentially getting together again he's written some really cool articles for us back in the day he was one of the people who promoted david johnson really heavily ahead of his breakout so for zero rb drafters that was a
1: big win for you on the site. That was before he looked like the late-stage Antonio Gates, though, Sean. Isn't that right? Well, it, my, my he, favorite cross-player comparison of all time is the end of David Johnson's career where Sean was comparing him to a late-stage Antonio Gates.
2: Yeah, it's never great when the players look like they're out there carrying a piano. But David Johnson in the early days Amazing. was the best of the best. So I still remember all of that very fondly. And every year I get to play in the Apex Experts League, which is my favorite industry draft all season long. So we're really excited to have Mike with us today. Mike, how are you doing?
3: It's going great. Very excited to be here and talk with you guys. I listen to Rotoviz over time, and it's very cool to be on the show as well.
1: That's awesome. That's awesome. So as we kick things off, just to fill the listeners in a little bit on the Apex side of things, it is AP ex for anyone that wants to search it out it will be linked in today's show notes as well but it is a medium stakes format allowing you know it's one of the favorites among the road community for a number of years and jumping in there but many other fantasy players as well and anyone that's listening i think after we talk today with mike is going to want to jump in there and get their toes wet as well you get to play redraft with trading 18 roster spots the free agency is relevant every week as well you're better at it than me so
3: Fellow listeners on
1: in the key elements of your format.
3: Yeah. So one cool part about Apex that people enjoy is you don't only have a game against a weekly opponent. You also have a game against the league average. So if the two highest scoring teams play against each other in like a home league, one team, the, the lower scoring team would go 0-1. In Apex, they would go 1-1. and So it does a good job of helping the best teams rise to the standings and kind of remove some of that randomness that's involved in fantasy leagues. Um most contests that, or many fantasy players enjoy, like ladder contests, that become very popular. Apex is more of like a home league where it's a 12-team league that everybody participates in and the winner gets the grand prize. The top three teams get paid. So while there isn't the ladder element, it does. it is easier to win your league and get the full prize. Another element that people enjoy are the enhancements. When we're struggling to fill a league, because we kind of have nightly drafts in August and the beginning of September, we have these things called enhancements where if we're struggling to fill the league, we'll throw some extra money to a league in order to generate more interest. So a lot of users like to sign up for that. They're emailed when we enhance a league and the league will go very quickly. So that's one one of the cool elements about Apex.
2: And you mentioned the play a team play the average six of the 12 teams advance and one of the things we talk a lot about in dynasty with some of the dynasty formats the column and i participated you have the six teams that advance obviously the top two teams get a buy and that buy is absolutely huge but it is nice as you go along through the season to you know feel like if you get off to a slow start that you're not out of it And then you put that trading element in it as well. I mean, obviously you're really pushing to get the buy. If you have to play in the first round, you have a great chance of getting eliminated. But with what you just said and the element of this being similar to a home league, but having that medium stakes element, I think that the playoff format as well tracks with those kinds of things. And I mean, this isn't a league where if you get off to an 0 three start, you feel like you're done. And, and, You know, 0-3, 0-6 even, right? Because you could lose to your opponent. You could lose to the average. I mean, you're still very much alive. You're going to go out and make some trades. You're going to figure out a way to get into the playoffs.
3: Yeah, I've seen some teams go on some crazy runs um, because a lot of the ways that we like to draft are the younger players who get better as the year goes on. So you can start slow out of the gates and get some guys who break out later in the season. And because you're playing two games a week, you can really make a surge at the end that can get you into one of those top six playoff spots.
2: Mike, I love the Apex Experts League. I love drafting with you. I love seeing how a lot of my favorite experts across the industry are drafting we do it there at the beginning of August which you know probably the most relevant time of the year to see what people are doing now that we all have some pretty good information tell us a little bit about this league how it developed you know who's been participating and just you know, how much fun it's been
3: yeah so it's a very fun league when my business partner and I Asher were creating Apex, we were thinking of how can we kind of market Apex or find fun ways to generate interest. We knew the fantasy space pretty well and followed all sorts of writers so we thought, how cool would it be if we got all of these awesome writers that are our favorites or some of the most popular in the industry and we got them to compete in a league. People would love to watch it. We would love to see how everybody drafts. So, of course, we had to reach out to Sean. We had to reach out to Mike Clay. Evan Silva at the time was very popular with matchups on Roto World. J.J. Zacharyson Rich Rebar, And over. Time we've added guys like Matt Harmon and Ian Hartitz and it's just a group of sharks in this league and it's so much fun getting to draft against them not just because you're playing in a league against some of your favorite writers but also they're being brought into these extremely difficult situations that you won't see in a normal league because everyone really knows what they're doing there aren't really like Trendy players sliding or great value, unless it's at a position that nobody wants. So you can be on the clock in four picks and have four guys that you like, and they can all get snapped up right before you, which is part of what makes it fun, but also very challenging. You mentioned
1: there, you know, unless players slide that maybe nobody wants at certain positions this year, when we're saying this year, now 2023 is going to be an interesting kind of case study, I think, as we look back on it. Obviously, still diving into. Some of the things with different roster constructions and that but over the last couple of years i think it has become we say more popular sean it took 10 years but like zero rb is something that people are probably diving into we're seeing the dead zone being discussed a lot more some of these trends in the first four or five rounds of the experts leagues this year was there anything that really stood out to you as being different and and how were they different from even even just comparing it to the previous expert drafts not just drafts in general but the other thing i think is very interesting with these drafts is every year they tend to lead the trend as to what the general consensus then is as the the offseason goes along it's like a, a starting point for where the changes happen
3: Yeah, so let me go back to the past. The Experts League began in 2014. And before this podcast, I actually went back and took a look. And zero running back was obviously a lot less popular. But at Rotoviz, Sean and I were very interested in zero running back and thought, you know, in a PPR league where you can start four wide receivers, one is your flex, it's probably the dominant strategy. So I looked back at that draft board and Sean and I both began our drafts with four wide receivers. And despite... uh, us selecting eight wide receivers in the first four rounds there were only 21 total selected in the first four rounds versus 21 running backs uh even by the end of round six it was 34 wide receivers versus 30 running backs during that 2014 regular season i finished first in the standings and sean finished third Last year, the league was much more wide receiver heavy. And in the first four rounds, 30 wide receivers were drafted compared to just 13 running backs. In the first six rounds, it was 43 to 19 in favor of wide receiver. And that's with Sean taking four running backs um so this people year was, very wide. Wondering,
1: was sean okay people were really <laughs> yeah. concerned about, about sean's welfare. I mean,
3: <laughs> i think what sean does very well is have the foresight in those difficult situations whether it's his experience drafting but he kind of has the poise in these situations where even though it's uncomfortable he kind of read where the value was so this year was very wide receiver heavy and it made roster construction very difficult
1: a lot of big differences the biggest difference being that we have seen more and more wide receivers and i guess that is also the game has changed in the nfl and that time you mentioned 2014 so there's a lot of changes even from that time and and how we expect points to be scored across the league what are some of the general trends that you might have seen i don't know if you want to go back as far as 2014 but over the the whatever period you choose to do across the apex leagues and i guess more so across where success has been found for for drafters
3: yeah i think the experts are more willing to be risky um the general fantasy owner is more risk adverse um like if you look at this year rich haribar didn't draft a quarterback until round 17 and an 18 round draft and he selected jared goff and brock purdy in the 18th and really it worked for him taking that risk um so i think most apex. And Denny owners. often doesn't even like take one because there's a free
2: agent period before exactly. the draft starts. And Denny has been very successful in this draft through the
3: years. Exactly. And I think that experts are a little bit more willing to say, you know, the odds are one out of 12 teams win. You have an 8.3% chance of winning a league. So you have to take some risks. I mean, Sean won the league and drafted five running backs in the first seven rounds. Is that an ideal start? So I think the experts are a little bit more willing to push the boundaries. And if you look at the average Apex draft, 24 wide receivers were selected in the first four rounds. Uh, in the first six rounds, the average Apex league selected seven fewer wide receivers and seven more running backs than the experts draft this year. Um, I also think that there's a more player-specific lens for the experts where guys like Derrick Henry and Joe Mixon that maybe in the normal draft, you're hoping they get selected. In the experts draft, they're going to survive a little bit longer because the experts know these potential risks and landmines in drafts because of their age and maybe decreased efficiency.
2: And Mike, you've been one of the most successful drafters in this league. And I like to think it's because you've always been part of the road of this community. But obviously, you're an excellent redraft player. And I mean, it goes without saying that this league is very important to you. you. Take it very seriously. How did you play in 2023? And how do you feel about how your team developed through the season?
3: So, you're at least partially correct in your assessment. The principles instilled at in me at Rotoviz will always be a huge part of how I draft. I'm very age conscious. And as a result, my teams are generally getting better as the year goes on. And generally speaking, I'm most comfortable with making running back to my weakest position. Obviously, this year, it was much harder to achieve that. Uh, this year I started with Tyreek Hill third overall in the second round. I wanted to get one of Olave Waddle or Higgins and instead was kind of forced to take Jonathan Taylor after they were snapped up with a three out of four picks before me at the time that I selected Taylor Keenan Allen was my favorite wide receiver on the board and he ended up making it back to me in the third round. So I selected him, but by the time it came to me in the fourth round, uh, it was be- the 10th pick of the fourth round. I'm looking at Jameer Gibbs versus Chris Godwin. Jameer Gibbs would be the 12th running back selected. Godwin would be the 30th wide receiver. So I that for me was a little bit too much to go with the wide receiver. I, like, I'm an ageist when it comes down to it. So I have to select this young, exciting player who I think has more of a chance to win the league for you than Godwin with Baker Mayfield with preseason expectations. So I took... Gibbs. And of course, I'm excited. I have Gibbs, Tyreek Hill, Jonathan Taylor, Keenan Allen. And when it comes back to me in the fifth round, there are 42 wide receivers off the board. And I'm looking at am I going to select my second or my third running back in J.K. Dobbins, who I think in 2024 has a chance to be maybe a second round pick easily, maybe a first round pick? Or am I going to select Quentin Johnston, who is an exciting young swing for the fences type of pick we don't really know what he is maybe he can be a really good player I took QJ because I mean I was uncomfortable going through all of these draft picks and having so few wide receivers obviously it didn't work out but I always want to take the risks um in the seventh round uh I selected hits that obviously didn't work out and kind of as the year goes on usually i have a lot of options and my teams are getting better my later round flyers or dart throws like jalen hyatt roshan johnson didn't really play out and my team ended up not really having the depth necessary to win, especially when Keenan Allen got hurt. So I finished third in the league, but I didn't feel great about it. I I like the teams where you're struggling to choose your starting lineup because you have so many options. And this was more, what can I find off the waiver wire every week? But the bidding in this league is so competitive because guys like Sean know that you need to pay up. And when Kendrick Bourne is going for like $300 out of a $500 budget, it becomes difficult to acquire assets
1: you mentioned a couple of things there just to to jump into but one of them being you mentioned the risks that the experts might take versus kind of the general players and i think this is a across the entire landscape but then you talk through your process of the younger player versus chris godwin and we like chris godwin a lot but he is an older player and maybe like it might even get into a few rounds later where you know the likes of your adam theelins for example versus a rookie or a second year player come into the conversation i think that the experts tend to talk through the decision a little bit like you did there as to x y and z the pros and cons where i feel like a lot of players who are maybe more casual are just like i know that name and i feel a little bit more comfortable with it and that's how they make that decision you mentioned the risk like the risk of i think what happens a lot of people and we haven't talked about this this year on ot but it kind of comes up every year where people and it used to be the zero RB conversation was this exact conversation. It didn't work that one time I tried it, so it never worked. So it's like if you were doing this for the first time last year and you drafted Quinton Johnson, you'd be like, drafting rookie wide receivers is a terrible idea. You know, it it kind of plays out that way. Um, so I do think that that is something that comes across again on all platforms. But is that kind of what you were talking about? What the risks versus, I guess the the casual players maybe not taking that risk. And the other thing I was going to mention is I was almost going to put like a you know, something to have a withdrawn comment when you mentioned J.K. Dobbins because we still aren't ready for that conversation after, uh, after. I don't think we're well, ever going to get to that on point, him. Sean, Roy.
2: And I, I got to have that landmine on my team instead. So. <laughs> thanks
3: Frank, Thanks for that. Hey, it's better than drafting Quentin Johnston, right? Because then he takes up a roster spot all year. You can't use him. You try and keep him expecting something to happen and he just burns a hole in your heart the entire season. Um, But no, Colm, I think that, if you take the view of, okay, I drafted one rookie wide receiver, and he was a first-round pick, and it didn't work out, um, I'm not going to draft them anymore. I think that you're going to end up regretting that decision. Uh, there's guys like Zay Flowers or Puka Nakura, Rishi Rice. Rice, Tank Dell, who... I think we're kind of moving into a position where football is a young man's game and these young guys who come in are having a huge impact, especially with this rookie class that's supposed to come out in 2024, I believe is supposed to be very good. So if you're just avoiding rookies because you think that they're risky, maybe your team would be safer. And I mean, I'm not even convinced that you would make the playoffs more frequently, but I think that generally the teams that win build these super teams that maximize their upside. And if you're avoiding rookies I think you're handcuffing yourself
1: that's awesome because I did say that in the intro the question I had about the zero or just that is the, that was the discussion for years you know it's too risky it doesn't work and now we're getting to this point so eventually I think it'll the downside of that is it's going to get to a point where it's very difficult to get as many of the young wide receivers on your roster as you you can uh, so yeah hopefully that continues to be the case for at least the next five years so we can continue to load up on these young players so uh yeah let's do that the other thing in terms of the ppr format is there any strategies i guess from your success that you would recommend to them when you're playing over at apex
3: Yeah, it's many of the same strategies that are recommended on this pod and stealing bananas. Uh, I think owners need to pay very close attention to price and roster construction. Many of the edges that have helped us over the years have kind of evaporated with wide receivers being priced so much more efficiently. Previously, you were able, like I looked back at the first Apex draft in 2014, and I think I got Jordan Matthews, a rookie wide receiver in like the eighth round. And today he would probably be a fifth or sixth round pick. Um and maybe even higher, depending on like what I, I can't remember exactly what the Eagle situation at wide receiver was that year. But regardless you kind of need to be prepared to be flexible and zig when others zag, like Sean did in the experts draft. If a talented running back like Gibbs has fallen, you can't say, Oh, well, I have to have wide receivers because zero running back has been so dominant. If you're just taking watered down wide receivers, you're going to lose to somebody who got a better draft position for grabbing all of these wide receivers. So I think the most important thing for drafting nowadays is flexibility and Also being able to know how the future of the draft will play out and what players you like in later rounds. So you can kind of tie together the early rounds and the late rounds. Um, My favorite strategy is still to take the wide receivers early. I think that the wide receiver drop-off is like too greatly exaggerated. And I think that the early wide receivers are much better. I think it really falls off. Um, So like last year, I would have loved to get wide receivers early if you can get an A-Chan, Kyron, Jalen Warren Hubbard was a guy that we liked. I mean, even guys like Kendra Miller, he didn't work out, but he was another one that kind of fit that draft plan. And then if you're able to add like a Laporta or something like that, I mean, you're looking like you have a really good team because quarterbacks weren't very difficult to acquire this year. Um, So I, I would always prefer to take these running backs before you're paying for the breakout before it's a Mixon or a derrick henry once you're paying for the breakout already things become very difficult i remember dalton cates friend of the show um wrote an article for us where he said that in dynasty leagues you should be selling running backs after their age 23 season if you want to get the peak price for them and i think that buying these running backs. Even like Tony Pollard in the last year, you don't know when this efficiency is going to fall. And once it falls, it's rarely coming back. It's gone. So I I like taking, it's such a young man's game, especially running back. Um, If you can get these guys before there's this huge jump in price, even like Etienne last year, where people were kind of down on him, but everything else in his profile said, this guy's a really good player. If you can get a guy who's, in the nfl but is at a discount or you can draft a rookie running back before the increased in, in price you're doing really well um the other thing i wanted to note is there have been two times that why that the apex experts league was this wide receiver heavy it was this past year and in 2016. in 2016 there were actually more wide receivers drafted in the first four rounds than last year i don't know if you remember that sean um but There was one person who zagged when everybody else was zigging, and it was Mike Clay, and he took five running backs in the first six rounds. He ended up drafting David Johnson and Le'Veon Bell, who were the two best players that year, and he rode them to a championship. So I've seen two extremely, extremely wide receiver-heavy years, and both times, it's the one really heavy running back drafter who's won the league. And I don't really think, even though it's a small sample, I don't really think it's a coincidence.
2: 2016 was coming off of the running back
1: apocalypse in mm-hmm. 2015 and so that was very interesting i'm going to skip in here with a question on sean on that is we've talked about this a number of times it's kind of a deciding point point. and then when we were drafting last year when we were a lot of the time advocating for two you know wide receivers in the first two rounds and maybe pivoting then to some of the you mentioned etn for example as a target I think obviously then in 2016, it didn't work out for a lot of people who did it. So, back to my conversation earlier, if it didn't work the one time I tried it, so I'm never going to try zero RB again. I think that people have become a lot smarter drafters over that time. So, I would expect that rather than it be a case this year where it completely would tank and go back to what we're doing in 2017, I think we're in this for the long haul with the wide receivers at the top of the boards moving forward. What's your thoughts?
2: Well, it was really interesting because you have the running back apocalypse in 2015. Then in 2016, you have probably the best season for running backs that we've had in the last decade. And so you have this big bounce back. And as a result of that, people who stayed with zero RB were extremely effective and have very high win rates over the next three, four, five years. And now we're back to the point where because that was so successful, drafters, Are pushing more and more in favor of wide receivers. And then that creates this element where, as Mike was saying earlier in the show, you need to get those wide receivers before the drop off. So you can really look at it from both perspectives that zero RB really is the dominant approach, almost regardless of. The scoring landscape and almost regardless of the ADP landscape. Now, again, there are going to be some very specific things that happen in any given year. And one of the things we know what happened this last year is if you have Kyron Williams coming out of where he came from and score like that, almost nothing else matters, especially if it's paired with Raheem Mostert. And a lot of drafters, because of the way they target players and because of the way they go with structure, I mean, you're going to have quite a number of drafters who have both of those guys. And when you have both of those guys, it's going to be very difficult to not do well. It was really interesting when I hear Mike bring up that previous draft because Clay and I had some trade discussions as that was going on because he wanted to get out of some of those running backs and he wanted to send me David Johnson. And do I regret not pulling the trigger on some of those trades? I think that's probably (laughs) a pretty easy question to answer. Mike, as you're looking at your league's how popular are some of these strategies that you're looking at as being dominant? Are you seeing a couple of drafters go zero RB in each draft? Or is that something where, I mean, obviously ADP moving in the direction of wide receivers, but from a structural approach, you're still seeing most drafters choose balanced lineups. And then I guess the additional element there for me would be, as I just mentioned, my Clay and I talking trades. Do you think the trade element shifts how you can draft knowing that you're not necessarily stuck with your players in the way that you would be in best ball leagues in the way that you are in many other high stakes
3: leagues? I think that drafters aren't as extreme or edgy as, say, you usually are where you push the boundaries. I see more like people are willing to start with four wide receivers, which I think back in the day was very rare. But now you'll see people draft wide receiver heavy, uh, but it's pretty rare that maybe like a six wide receiver start or something that is is kind of rare. Um, in terms of the trading, I think it's kind of difficult people draft these players and they like them and finding a match with another owner that you find is equal value. I'm not sure if people are going to the draft saying, okay, I'll be able to flip this guy. Cause sometimes people will say, okay, Patrick Mahomes is lasting too long in this draft. I'll take him. Then they think another quarterback is they draft two quarterbacks and trading quarterbacks is tough when there's a Brock Purdy, a Jared Goff, a Sam Howell. So Uh, Maybe, but I think sometimes people like their own assets so much that they're not as willing to negotiate or I'm not going to sell this player low or I'm going to sell him high, but the other owner is saying, I'm not going to buy him at these high prices. So, finding the match and humility, I think that you preach humility on this show, Sean, and you always have. And it's something that I really respect, but I don't think it's common in the fantasy space. And I think that there's a I'm going to rip off this owner arrogance that is not always able to actually manifest. You don't see it all that often. People kind of have this belief, but what ends up happening is you're not able to trade those assets
1: yeah that's a really really good point i think very well made and i think sean this has been so good with mike we're going to have it have him back on for a second show this week so we are going to put a pin in this episode there and we're going to come back we're going to do a second one that will come out later this week because this has just been awesome i mentioned at the start apex fantasy leagues i will have the link in today's show notes it is apexfantasyleagues.com. mike i'll give you the floor one final plug why should the listeners go out and check apex
3: out we run fun and fair leagues that we hope everybody can enjoy. Um, if you're not interested in playing our leagues, we also have a free blog where we provide insightful strategy content. So come join in the fun in the community, hop in some leagues. We have auction leagues, we have dynasty leagues, we have orphans that need selling. So come check us out at apexfantasyleagues.com
1: that's awesome so we will be back with our second edition e- easiest way in the off season as i always say make sure you are subscribed you get all the episodes once they're available over on the road Biz overtime podcast feed my name is colin kelly you can follow me on twitter at over to martin my co-host is sean siegel check out sean's work up on road and until we are back have a good one